Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the podcast for the 21st century for military spouses, by military spouses, about military spouses and their world. Welcome to another edition of the critically acclaimed, always fresh, never boring, Military Spouse Spouts. Here's your host, Susan Reynolds, and co-host, Dave Etter. Yep, 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 yep. Susan is here, by the way. She's uh, kind of in the background Got herself a brand new microphone, uh, which I'm proud of her for doing. It's a USB microphone, I believe, but she got one of the high-end ones, so she'll be coming in clear, crisp and clear, and it's going to be exciting to see that happen. Um, or, well, actually, I think she's calling in instead. <laughs> I'm calling in instead because I couldn't figure out how to make that. The moment I plugged in the earphones, no sound. And I tried to oh. do what you said, and I was like, this isn't working. So... Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll play go. with it after the show is over. Yeah, month of we'll the military child. Month of the military month? child, full swing. Yes, full cool? swing. Although um, I do have to say something, and if I um, get a little uh, sad at the moment, uh oh, it's just going to have to be okay. Okay. So, um, so um, two years ago, so uh-huh. I'm crying. I'm sorry, Dave. It's okay. But two years ago, I lost my stepmom to right. her suicide. And I'm sorry to be so um, so emotional today about it. I just when I when I taught when I planned the show and when I was talking about it and everything, I just I didn't even equate the anniversary date and everything. And I'm sorry for crying. Oh my God, I can't believe I'm crying so hard. Why? But uh, it, that's it's if you didn't but cry, it's been a we tough have two to years. So, it's the one thing that's always going to happen is everybody who ever has an influence on on your life anywhere is going to live in your heart, and so in a form the same thing. In a form, yeah. Well, it's it's like immortality. I mean, as long as somebody remembers, you really have not passed on. It, it, and hopefully it's good things that you that, that you remembered for yes. because otherwise yes. you know uh, Genghis Khan was a pretty pretty nasty person so yeah uh, um, but other than that you know it, oh it, Dave you're so funny it's you know your mom is a great person and okay you have you will probably always remember her and it's oh, yeah. when you start when it starts fading. That's when I think is really is something where you know you need to know. It, crying is good, and as long as you're yes. crying, you're and not I a shouldn't, you're right. Memory. I shouldn't apologize for that because it's only been two years. It was very, um, it was very sudden, and even though I talk about it, it's still very raw, and mm-hmm. makes me sad because I miss her. She was well, really funny. And the, the one thing about it, though, uh, uh, you're you're wanting to apologize for people and trying to not cry, is because you recognize that others may not be as comfortable with seeing yes. somebody else expressing their emotions, and that oh, too God, is yes. normal. 
So, yes. you know, it, you got to find that happy balance in between or just be big and ugly and mean like I am. And, you know, I'll cry when I want to cry and I don't care who says anything. I love you so much. You're so wonderful. I'm so glad you and Steph are in my life. Thank you very much. But I just, you know, I started thinking, you know, Ian brought her up last night. It was really strange. Mm -hmm. And it was uh, one of those very strange moments where I was like, gosh, for a little kid, you sure have experienced a lot of interesting things in your life. Um, Things that I'm not sure if most kids who are not military, which brings us to month of the military child, if they would experience them. I think some kids, Mm -hmm. yes. Uh, Some kids are just Gosh, they got it rough from the moment they're born. You know, they just—they do. They just got it rough, and um, and it's and it's awful, and it's tragic, and it's frustrating, and um, and some kids, it it starts out good, and then really crazy things happen. And I think Ian is one of those kids that, you know, while he has yes a very good life, he's had some really crazy things happen to him. That thankfully he's been so young that he's missed them. In, you know, he's he hears about them in story, and he has no memory of them. Like, oh, his house being hit by a tornado, and us living in a hotel, and you know, the first couple of deployments, and uh, you know, and things like that. You know, so I'm I'm thankful for that. But he really misses Penny. Um, she was just like the Pied Piper with the the little grandchildren, right? And even the older my sister's um, sons, my sister's boys. She just was very. Those kids just gravitated towards her, and she would, mm. you know, in her pocketbook. She still called it a pocketbook. I love that. I got, you got, I got to tell you something. My grandmother used to say pocketbook, too. Um, in her pocketbook, <laughs> she would always have all these toys and candy and treats and things. that they. And she allowed – she was very cool with the kids going in there and finding a treasure, you know. She was like, I've got treasures mm. for you. And so um, Ian was talking about that last night, about how he misses her. But he absolutely, you've got to love the mind of a child. He absolutely believes that she is his guardian angel. Cool. And she is watching over him. And he, and he has told me he has had conversations with her when he's been really worried about Jeremy when he was deployed last year. And he was like, but mm-hmm. Penny said she's watching over Daddy so he'll be safe. <laughs> I was like, okay, that's really cool, kid. And I, you know, and I, and I think – like what you said, you carry this person in your heart. And you know what? There was one day uh, last year I was just kind of – I was really missing her, right? And I was, you know, wanted to tell her something, and, of course, I couldn't tell her. And um, and so Ian um, said, you know, he comes up to me and he rubs, you know, where my heart is, and he goes, Mommy, she's right there. Just talk to your heart. <laughs> Which, of course, makes you cry even harder because, you know, of course. you're the parent. And your child is being unbelievably sweet and very wise for a little one. I was like, oh, my goodness, I don't know where this wisdom comes from, but holy bananas. I don't know if I Uh, possess that kind of wisdom. I think it comes natural to kids. I think every kid, if given the opportunity, can – you can can express exactly yes. that it's 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 us jaded adults that teach yes. them to not talk about it to not uh, um, empathize with somebody else not help them along because we we, we teach them you know keep to your own space uh, um, yeah be, be careful be cautious and, and you know don't don't do anything that is going to draw attention to you don't, don't yeah, you know, I'm, I've always well, been a firm believer that we can fly 
we honestly can fly up until about the time we're two years old or maybe three years old when we've heard mom and dad tell us enough times, get down off of that bed because you're going to fall and hurt yourself. Yeah. So yep. now I've got it ingrained in my head. Gravity will win. And I have yet <laughs> to overcome that. So I'm still stuck on the ground. But one yeah. day, one day I might get past all of that and go back to flying. I like it. Okay, I'm a little like weird it. at times. Sometimes. No, I think that you're not weird. I think that's wonderful, and I love that because I think it's very true. And I think that, you know, you're right. Kids see this, see our world in such a different – they see it so differently because they – it's it's a place of wonder. And, and only as we get older do we take away that wonder and let reality yeah. sit in. And yeah. does reality need to be that – harsh you know i i see you you know because i don't think it does like so i'm still quite the um optimistic dreamer uh i think you are too i think you've got a lot of uh i think you're definitely got some some uh you're always fine because you're so you're so solution driven and you're yeah because you're a very solution driven person dave i think you do you are you will have uh some you, you've got the dreamer tendencies in you as well, and yeah. um, and I don't think there's anything wrong with being a dreamer as an adult. Now the thing is, is do you want them to say just dreams, or what do you want to do from there? And I don't think that's a negative either. If all you want to do is just have these wonderful dreams that you share with people, and then you say go run forth, be merry, well, you know, being able being able to be a, a solution provider. Or you know, or at least a solution ahar, uh, you know, where I can, you know, it's, it kind of pops in out of the blue. It's there's a there's a healthy combination of dreaming involved yes. there, but there's an also a very solid foundation in reality, and it's observed reality that I have seen. I just don't like to look at reality as a an emotional state as a negative of any way, shape, or form. My being positive isn't exactly being positive. It's being, it's it's not a, it's not a a. What's the word I'm looking for? I'm, I'm thinking of the 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 book Douglas Adams' Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yes. And and the the robot that's always so down. Nothing oh, yeah. can go right. Okay. Well, it, it, and that's you know Eeyore. From uh, uh, Robin or uh, from um, Winnie the Pooh. Winnie the Pooh. Yep. Eeyore is that very same thing. It's it's a, a down person. It's somebody that just yeah they're not given any opportunity to, to understand or see anything. And so I just I try to avoid to fall into that rut because sure you're absolutely right. Right now there is a this perceived problem. Yes, you are absolutely right. There is nothing that can be done about it at this moment, but let's yes. see if we can change that. And with yeah. Mother the Military Child, we've got a massive challenge on our hands because the kids, our kids are military kids. They're not yeah. just out there where they can run the streets cuss, you know, uh, shoot guns at each other, dress weird. We, we, we hold our kids to a higher standard and we're, uh, we're a lot more 
enforced with them. And so yes. Month of the Military Child gives plenty of opportunities for various you know, networks to do things. Uh, I, I, here's a couple of statistics that I, I don't have full statistics on because I can't compare them to what the world average is or what the, the world numbers are. But did you know that as of, as of December last year or, well, maybe November of last year, that there are approximately 2 million military children – Yes, I Two didn't know that. Million. And there's only I know. there's only one million military spouses. Yeah. We so like to have all, babies. Yeah, yeah. And did you know that of those of those two million children, one point three million of them are school aged? Mm-hmm. Now, what we're talking about for kids is newborns up to 18 years of age. But at, yep. 18, at, at, at age 18, you can join the military. And we do have a lot of kids that join the military because they see it what It becomes a family parents, business. Absolutely. Which, it becomes a family business. It really does. I mean, think about it. You have a son who's joining the Navy. I do. I do. And it's really going to be cool to have him do that. Uh, but that brings up it, it segues nicely into the fact that we've got a an interview that you did with somebody uh, a, a friend of yours. Yes. So um, and thank you for letting me. So first, thank you for being such a wonderful friend and letting me uh, talk about Penny for a few minutes. I really appreciate oh, sure. that. She no would problem. have adored you. She would have adored you. Oh my gosh, well, she would have scooped her up into the biggest hugs too. Here's something you can do to make yourself happier later, you know, after the show's over. Today is National Grilled Cheese Day. Oh, I love grilled cheeses. There you Candace go. Too. Nice. That's what we're having for dinner. Grilled there cheeses for go. dinner. Okay. Um, anyway, I love to... you, Dave. You're awesome. Okay, so my friend David Mike. So I know David from – actually, I know his sister from when we were in high school together in Germany. And I know his other brother, Darren, because he was just a couple years older than me. And then his baby brother, who apparently just turned 40, which I find so funny that they're still calling him the baby brother, um, Daniel actually works with my husband here at Fort Bragg. Wow. And um, so uh, it was crazy how we found each other, and, and, and we went to a high school in Germany that is now closed, uh, on a base that is now closed. And so um, I you know, discovered by talking to his brother Daniel that he had written this wonderful book, and I got it for us, and I read it, and I was very moved by the raw honesty in this book about how he grew up as a military kid, joined the Army when he was 17, because he graduated high school when mm. he was 17, and joined the Army and had to have a waiver, of course, because he was 17. Of course. Um, and and wanted to do something a little different from his dad, who was Air Force. He was like, no, I wanted to do something else. And then he got into trouble um, yeah. uh, through a series well, of really bad events. Let's, he got let's into not trouble. Give away, let's not give away too, too much. much of it. Let's, yes. let's you got you caught up with him last Thursday, and yep. uh, you guys had a very good chat. And I have a recording of that. So would you like to hear it? Yay! Yes. Here we go. Welcome, David. Welcome to Southbound. Yay! Thank you. Thank you very much, Susan. I appreciate it. Well, I'm very 
very excited. So um, we actually have a personal connection. We lived in the same area in Germany together, but we didn't right. know each other. Uh, I knew your sister. Gotcha. Yeah, Dana. Yes, I know Dana because Dana and I were actually in um, biology class together. <laughs> that's very. That's kind of crazy. Yes, and now we have another personal connection because your youngest brother Daniel works with my husband here in Fort Bragg. Yeah, that's uh, that is awesome. Yeah, and he's not. He's my youngest brother, but he just turned forty. So. I know, that makes we're me laugh. He's, I know, I think he's feeling his age all of a sudden. So I'm always cracking, you know, we're always talking about Germany and everything, and it's always fun. And everybody in the squadron thinks it's, hyster- like, this is the coolest thing ever, that we were all in high school together. They're like, you know, in Germany of all places. And they think that's really cool. And, I, you know, I'm like, uh, I think it's cool, too, because our school is gone now. It's closed down, you know? Yeah, it seems like most of the bases that we lived at closed uh, after we left. So there was something about the Mike family shutting down bases all over the world. So. <laughs> I don't know if you guys will ever be able to shut down Fort Bragg. I'll tell you that. <laughs> no, I doubt it. Was I think it was my dad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I you know, and it's interesting how we met each other. So you are the oldest of the Mike children. Uh, I knew Darren and Dana from high school. Met Daniel here at Fort Bragg. I've never actually met you in person, although we did live in. My husband and I were in Offit from 2006 to 2010. How crazy is that? Yeah, that's pretty crazy. But you wrote a fantastic book called Dishonor. And I'm going to tell our listeners a little bit about this and about who you are and why we had to bring you on the show. Because I read your book, and I was so unbelievably moved by your story. The book is entitled Dishonor, One Soldier's Journey from Desertion to Redemption. And I thought, well, that's a very, first of all, that's a very brave and vulnerable title. Because you're really laying it out there that you have done something, I don't know if I would say wrong, but you really took some big missteps earlier in life. By the cover, by just looking at the book and then going over to the back, you can read about what's going on and everything that happened with you. You really came back from a very, very tough place in your life. I'm going to read a little bit about your book. It said, David Mike swore allegiance to his country in 1987. Only to be dishonorably discharged for desertion. One bad choice after another landed him in Fort Leavenworth, a notorious military prison in Kansas, where he starts a new life as an inmate. Follow his journey as he claws his way toward Christ and away from the past that yearns to destroy him. And I got to tell you something. I read this book cover to cover, and I cried. I heard that a few times. (laughs) What? I believe it. Because So for me, reading this book, because I knew a little bit about your family, it was um, an interesting trip down memory lane, of course, because you're writing about places I've been to and lived at as a child and as a teenager myself. But also as a military kid, I'm also, I was very familiar with a lot of the places that you had been stationed at as a child. You all, so you all are, started out as a military family, and you lived in South Carolina for, gosh, you were at Shaw Air Force Base for a number of years, weren't you? Mm-hmm. Like nine years. Yeah. We just don't do that kind of stuff anymore in the Air Force. It's crazy. And then well, my dad got sent to Thailand for a year. So in between, so he was uh, stationed there for four, Thailand for one, and then back for four. So that's how we ended up there for nine. So. Ah, okay. Okay. Now that makes a heck of a lot more sense. Okay. And then you went to Louisiana. Yes. England Air Force Base. Okay. And that Air Force Base is closed now. Yes. And then you came to Zweibrücken, and there was a part in your book where you wrote about, um, and I don't want to jump too much ahead in the story, but uh, there was a part in your book where you wrote about when you were in Louisiana, how you were a part of the United States Marine Corps Junior ROTC program and how much you loved it, and it provided quite a bit of structure to your life. Mm-hmm. 
How much did you, I mean, was it really, Did were you honestly thinking about joining the Marine Corps at one point? No, I didn't really ever want to join the Marine Corps. It was the only um, option available to me, uh, that particular okay. branch of service okay. at, at that school, but I just knew I wanted to be in the military. Uh, I knew I didn't want to be in the Air Force either just because I felt like I wanted to do something a little different than what my father did. And uh, so I kind of had my eyes on the Army. But when I went to Zweibrook, and obviously we switched over to Air Force ROTC and had a different uh, feel for the military. And, you know, obviously it was similar to what my dad was doing. But I kind of made up my mind that I wanted to do a specific job in the Army. And so that's what I signed up for. Earlier this week on our show, we were actually talking about how it's month of the military child. And I made the remark about how I think I was a teenager when month of the military child started. So I think by the time you were graduating high school is when they were starting month of the military child. So you would have never benefited from a program like this. No, I never did. Yeah, exactly. And I'm I'm always remarking about how everything has changed so much since we were military kids because they have programs like this, month of the military child, right? And how the military now, how it's become a family business. We have our kids, we travel all around the world, and our children grow up seeing this lifestyle, and they end up enlisting or going to an ROTC program in college and then coming back into the military somehow. If I'm not mistaken, you were in the military. Your brother, Darren, was. Dana's a veteran as well? Yes, he is. And then, obviously, my husband works with your youngest brother, Daniel. So he's also in uh, still active duty. And then your dad is retired. And, and right now, you're really showing that, yes, it is a family. It becomes a family business. This is what we love. There's a, a sense of security. Does that make sense that, that the military offers yeah. that we just, I yeah, think, okay, I think it you. also has to do with, like, growing up with, you know, that as, as your structure and your base, it's familiar, and so you, you kind of gravitate towards it. I don't know too many people that um, graduated from Zweibrook and who didn't at least attempt the military, if not, you know, make a career out of it. You know, I said the same thing the other day. I remember so many of us just thinking, oh, we'll never join, we'll never join. And then by the time graduation was rolling around, people were signing up to go and join. You know, they were enlisting into the United States Air Force or the Army, and every now and then you had the rare person who decided on the Marine Corps or the Navy, and that was very rare. Right. Almost everybody somehow became military-affiliated in some way, shape, or form. It, it's really strange how that happens now, you know, how our kids, or now we're the kids, really, if you think about it, and how we've all ended up becoming part of the military family now in our adult years. Right. Usually, I'm trying to be a little more friendly and not so professional-sounding. I'm sorry. I just really, you know, <laughs> no, I feel like we, we have such a lot. We have an odd history together though we don't know each other because I know because again I was in high school with your your other brothers and sisters so I know them I mean I'm thinking this is so cool I'm talking to my friend Dana's older brother I remember her talking about you being in the army yeah so they were pretty so, proud of me but, for, for a little while there. yeah they were, and they still are, you know. I mean, I will. Um, when I got your book in and I started reading it, I was going up to the squadron one day to uh, get Jeremy and, and my husband, Jeremy, and uh, I had our little boy with us, and I saw your brother, and I said, hey, guess what? I got your uh, brother's book in the mail on today, and I said, and I couldn't stop reading it, and I'm probably five or six So I think I spent, you know, already an hour reading it. I, I just I couldn't put it down. It was so good. And he said, and you, how did you know about his book? And I said, oh, you know, the Zweibrickin group, we get around. We like to tell each other everything that's going on and let people know what's going on in our lives. And he said, wow. He was like, that's so cool. He's like, thank you. He's so proud of you still, in case you don't know. Well, yeah. You know, he says it from time to time. I'm pretty proud of him. He's a, he's a really good guy. He's super funny to be around. My husband enjoy, loves working with him. I mean, seriously, they they get along. They get along. It just, he loves his sensibility. He says he's just really great to talk to. He's definitely been a huge asset to 
our squadron here. So I want to get into the book though because I really love this book, and I'm not and I'm I'm not kidding. I was reading it uh, just parts again just today, and I felt myself just becoming very um, I don't know how to describe. I'm not going to say this the right way, but just very uh, not involved, but very attached to the words you were saying and the feelings that you were conveying in your book. I just I I thought you know there's I had so many questions actually. I you know it was really I mean I have must have I've written down probably a good 30 questions. We just won't get to all of them because it's just too many questions. I really wanted to really I wanted to talk about your story and from the moment you left the airport in Germany and flew over to basic training and what what happened from that moment on. So if you don't mind sharing a little bit of that story with me and then if I can interrupt for some questions, I hope you're okay with that. Sure. Um, I'll try and keep it brief because okay. this could go on forever, but. Um, basically, I left home at 17, so I, and I think I just barely turned 18, but I signed up when I was 17. So I went to Fort Knox, Kentucky. Um, I signed up to be a cavalry scout, which is an armored reconnaissance specialist, and uh, that was the job that I wanted to do. And I was having a, you know, uh, it was a little bit of a struggle for me because I, I wasn't very athletic, but you know, I, I trudged through and ended up uh, graduating and moving to Fort Benning, Georgia, where I took airborne school, which was one of the enlistment options that I had. Because the, oh, yeah. the exercise part was pretty strenuous, I ended up um, breaking my leg while running during the second day there. It just broke. And uh, so I ended up uh, with a cast on my leg and orders to Fort Polk, Louisiana. So I shipped <sighs> out to Fort Polk. Instead of going to Fort Bragg, I was actually assigned to Fort Bragg. But because I didn't you know, finish the airborne school um, option, I had to go to Fort Polk. So I ended up there. And anybody who's ever been there, which I'm sure some of your listeners have been there or heard of it, but it's, it's not the best place to be stationed. No, it's um, not. But, <laughs> Yeah. They say it's not the end of the world, but you can see it from there. But they say that probably about a lot of places. But yes, it was really do. close to the town that I went to high school in because I was, you know, we lived in Alexandria. And um, so, you know, I was familiar with the area. But uh, the girl that I dated in high school, her dad was stationed at Fort Hood. And so I used to drive there, um, you know, on the weekends. And it was about a six-hour drive. And so I would go there. Um, but the distance between us became a little bit too great. And she found somebody else that was able to give her more attention than I was. And we broke up. So. That was kind of where I started to go downhill as far as my emotions were concerned, and I was really depressed and uh, went out with some friends that were like, you should go out to the club with us and, you know, take your mind off your sadness. And, you know, not very long uh, into the night, I had a hit of ecstasy in my hand and I took it. And it was my first time uh, exposed to anything like that. I'd never taken any drugs before. I had never drank before. And so um, it was a, a a very quick downward spiral into the world of drugs. So it wasn't not too long after that, I actually was so addicted to this drug that I, I couldn't stop taking it. So I took it, you know, on the weekends oh, wow. and started filtering into the evenings. Um, I'm not sure how I was functioning at work. The guys that I was hanging out with noticed that I was able to get it pretty readily. So they're like, how about we just give you the money? You just buy it all and then we'll, you know, get it from you. And so I became like uh, a middleman. So on active duty in the U.S. Army, I became a drug dealer. And uh, I was able to take as much as I wanted because the dealer would give me selling um, the amount that I was able to sell. So, you know, shortly after that, I I was arrested by CID. They had been, uh, I'd been under surveillance and I wasn't aware of it. And uh, they asked me if I would help them out. And I was like, sure. Yeah. I, you know, I don't want to go to jail. They said, well, you're going to jail. There's no way around it, but you'll go for less time if you work with us. So that kind of scared me. And I went back to my unit and, that next weekend, I went out and bought another shipment of drugs, and I was like, forget it. I'm not messing around with those cops. The person that I was kind of uh, working together with with the, with the drugs, her, we were living in a trailer, 
and it was raided by um, the local police and uh, CID, and they took her away. They took her roommate away because the drugs were in her room, and uh, they told me, you were supposed to be helping us out, so you need to get back to post, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. And then uh, I got a phone call later that night uh, from the dealer's boyfriend, and he said, I escaped, come get me. And so I went and picked him up, and we drove to Houston, Texas, and I was AWOL. And then I just found out shortly after that, my unit deployed to Panama, and so I was listed as a deserter. Well, that's kind of oh, wow. how everything kind of went downhill. So during that time, oh, uh, wow. you know, it was a six-month six month deal um, before I was apprehended again. All I did was drugs, sell drugs to stay alive, and I was moving drugs back and forth uh, between the Texas and Louisiana border from Houston, Texas, back to Fort Polk. And... Uh, Sooner or later, you know, they knew they found out where I was going to be, and they they took me down, and uh, I was arrested again. And uh, so they let me back in my unit, and they said, if you promise not to run away, we'll you know put you back in your unit before your trial. And my father was going to come testify on my behalf, and he wasn't able to make it. So I got scared again, took off again, and went to Dallas, Texas. And this time, I said, if I'm not going back to jail. There's no way I'm going back. So I took a gun with me and I decided that, you know, if uh, I was going to get caught again, I was going to attempt suicide by cop because I just couldn't deal with the fact of having to go to prison. So, um, you know, that was, that was my plan anyways. And the cop who arrested me, uh, I found out later that, uh, because we've reconnected that uh, he was a Christian Mm -hmm. and he had a heart change and was really reaching out to try and help me out because God uh, put it on his heart to, Help me. So he got a hold of me and told me to turn myself in. And my parents um, found out that I ran away again and they, they were praying for me and that a whole bunch of people praying for me. And I just had this overwhelming urge to go back. So um, after I talked to the undercover officer, um, I turned myself in. Um, my father did come to my trial. He was he came from yeah. Wybrookin. Uh, he had military orders yep. to come to my uh, court martial. I got court martialed. Uh, he he was able to um, you know say some good things about me, but in the end, I had to I had to pay the crime for my you know pay the punishment for my crime. Uh, I was sentenced to five years, and that was with some cooperation that I did with the undercover cops. Uh, otherwise, I was facing about 38 years, and I was probably going to go down for about 10 or 12. Um, but I ended up with a five-year sentence, uh, reduction in rank to you know E1, and then uh, a dishonorable discharge, which I still have to this day. So that that's been a big struggle for me. Uh, obviously I own up, you know, I, I know what I did wrong. And, uh, but just the fact of having that dishonorable discharge, it's just been looming over me, um, the entire time since I, since I received it. And, uh, you know, with the Gulf first Gulf war, you know, in, uh, Afghanistan, Iraq, you know, all of our, you know, my American brothers and sisters yeah. going over to fight. I, I can't fight. I'm, I'm not allowed to, um, you know, my, when Daniel went down range a couple of times, I just had this, man, if anything ever happened to him, I just couldn't live with myself because of the fact that, you know, I, I can't serve my country in the capacity that I, that I originally signed up to do. And that's, that's been a big struggle of mine. So I ended up going to Leavenworth for three years and, uh, eventually I was paroled and then I moved to Omaha, Nebraska. We'll be right back with more of the interview with Susan and David Mike after this short 30-second word from our sponsor. As Captain Barrett's wife, I'm known for my volunteer work, but at home... Hey, you ate all the cookies. Wasn't me. I'm known for my amazing chocolate chip cookies, and that's fine with me. We know home is at the heart of every military family. That's why we founded Armed Forces Insurance, to protect the property of our fellow servicemen and women. Call 1-800-633-2006 for a no-obligation auto, home, or renter quote, or visit www.afi.org. 
At Armed Forces Insurance, our mission is you. Because now, and your family was stationed at Offutt Air Force Base, which is essentially Omaha. It's right outside of Omaha in Bellevue, right? Yeah, and the funny thing was, was I was in Fort Leavenworth, Kansas, and my dad got orders to to uh, Offutt Air Force Base, so he felt like God positioned him there to be close closer to me. And it was about a three-hour drive, and he, they were able to come visit me in the last year of my yeah. confinement. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, so. A couple of things that you said that I thought were really interesting that I actually did talk to my husband about as I was reading the book, too, um, and things that you wrote about was how you were originally going to Fort Benning because my husband is also airborne. And people find that strange that he's Air Force and airborne, but I'm like, hey, hey, we do it, too. Yay. Yeah, I mean, that's what I, you know, and, and but it's, you know, but. You know how it is. You know people don't don't know those things. You know, and so you only know what you know, and until someone you know teaches you something new, right? And uh, I asked him. I said, "Have you have you seen?" I was like, "Have you?" I said, "I've heard of these. You know, I've heard of the accidents that happen at airborne school and people getting injured like that." He goes, "He said you don't understand airborne school." He goes, "It was the coolest experience of my life, but it was also the hardest experience of my life." He was like, "I've seen." He goes, "The toughest, strongest people." Just collapse. Just collapse. You know they are they're exhausted. They're rucking. They're jumping out of airplanes, and your body is not used to that. It's not used to that that stress that it's being put under. And he was like, "Yeah." It's, he goes, "I'm not surprised." He goes that at, if he had broken his leg like that, he goes, "I don't find that surprising." I actually found that very surprising. I'll be honest with you. I didn't know that people could get injured like that. I, I don't know why I didn't know that, but it's not. I've never experienced it. That's why I, I you know, and I thought, well, I, I hope he's okay. I hope his leg is, you know, okay. I know a break like that can cause a long-term issue one day. You know, like all of a sudden you're 70 years old and your leg hurts for no reason, and you're like, oh. <laughs> Yeah, well, <laughs> that was, I was because uh, of that uh, time in airborne school when I was 20. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was expected to do a 20-mile road march through the mountains of Kentucky with a you know rucksack and a weapon, and so this, I had stress yeah. fractures that had built up at the end of my training, and, and it was just a stress fracture that separated. So, and it was a small yep. bone in my leg. Yep. Um, and you know, I still have aches and pains, but that that's just to remind me that I shouldn't have probably done that. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and so, and then of course my husband has also done a couple of TDYs down to Fort Polk for their JRTC, uh, you know, which is the what does it stand for? The Joint Readiness Training uh, Joint Center. Joint Readiness Training Center. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he's done a couple of those down there, and he said, um, he goes, "Wow, Fort Polk is just." He's like, "It's really." He goes, "There is nothing around it." There's nothing around it. I was like, yeah, that's what I've heard. I don't know. I've never, ever been there, so but that's what I've heard. But um, I, what I really thought was so interesting, though, as I was reading through your book, was there were a couple of things where I saw how you had changed, completely changed from this person who was very disbelieving of anyone in authority. To recognizing that you needed to have faith and trust in people that were being placed in your life for a reason, and you needed to have faith in God who was placing these people in your life. And you had to understand. Yeah. I was going to say, going back later and rewriting the story, all of this stuff kind of came together as one. Uh, You know, here and there I would kind of notice things, but more things have come, like I didn't know that the cop was uh, 
a Christian at all until we I got a hold of him, which was a challenge, but I did. And um, just some other people that have reached out to me since then has just been amazing. How God has revealed Himself to me, um, and that He was He had me in His hands the whole time, even though I was like trying to run relentlessly pursuing me the entire time. I think that's wonderful, actually. I think that's wonderful that you've realized that because I think for some people they will spend a lifetime not knowing that. Not knowing. And that and I that makes me sad in a way for them because I think you have to recognize that there are people who are placed in your life in. At, in you know at particular moments of your life, when you are hurting or when you feel weak or when you need to continue to have support, um, you know whatever the reason is, all of a sudden these people are there and they are loving and they are caring, and they are they have been brought to you for a reason. And I truly believe that you know there is that you know the old saying, God works in mysterious ways. Yeah, he sure does. Yes. <laughs> and you don't Definitely. and you Definitely. don't sit and question it, I think sometimes. You know, sometimes you just have to believe. You just have to have faith. And what and what the great and what the greater plan is. And I loved right. reading that in your book because you really recognized the greater plan. You recognized that there was a, a, there was something else out there for you. And, you know, you said also, as you were sharing your story about how, you know, the guilt that you carry and everything, and I have to tell you, I was, as I read that part in your book, I'm I'm not going to lie, that part made me cry about the hardest. Um, I mean, I had cried quite a few times because I was just so touched by everything that you were writing and and. And I and by the end of the book, I was so hopeful for you. I actually felt myself cheering for you, because I wanted to see you succeed. And I had already. And it's not that as if I didn't know that you were being, that you were succeeding now. Obviously, right? But um, right. your book took me on that journey. All of a sudden, I, there I was. I felt like I was 17 years old, and I was re, you know, growing with you throughout the book. You're a wonderful, wonderful writer. That's a gift. Well, I had a lot of help with that. Uh, but there's a, a woman that reached out to me. Uh, I actually blogged the book for three years uh, while I was writing it kind of in a rough draft form. And there was a woman mm-hmm. who reached out to me and said, Hey, I, I'd like to help you with your writing. Uh, as a male, I kind of am factual. And I just, you know, she said, you need to add more emotion. And so I had a, a kind of a writing coach throughout the process. And then I actually had the book professionally edited that, which, you know, kind of tied everything together and, and made it flow a little bit better. But yeah, I definitely had help. It wasn't all me. And I can tell you for a fact that uh, God had his hand in this because I've never written in my life before. Shortly after I started writing it, uh, my mom said, hey, you might want this. And she had a stack of letters that I had written to her from the day I left for basic training through the second year of prison in a chronological order, all bundled up. So I had kind of everything I needed and things I forgot about that were chronicled in all these letters. It was really crazy. Oh, that's so wonderful. Moms are great like that, aren't they? Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to have to read from your book here, if you don't mind again. Sure. On September 11, 2001, our country changed forever. After the attacks, a huge wave of patriotism swept our nation. War was imminent, and everyone backed our service members, no matter what branch of service or job they held. It was amazing to see how much love and respect was shared with with anyone wearing a uniform. 
I, however, became very unsettled. My father, brother, and sister were all veterans, and my youngest brother signed up only months before the attacks. As America hailed and praised our men and women in uniform, I developed a deep sense of guilt and shame about the actions that led to my incarceration and dishonorable discharge. This feeling wouldn't go away, and it cut deep into my soul. It was challenging going to work every day, feeling like there was no real significance to what I was doing. In the grand scheme of life, I was irrelevant. Men and women were going overseas to fight and die for a cause. And it was that line, I was irrelevant, it really caught my breath. Because I thought, I, I don't know how he could possibly think that way about himself. He has clawed back from some of the darkest moments in any human being's life to becoming a productive member of society, as you know the phrase goes. You were working, and you were in school, and you hadn't been married, and you were starting a family, and you were connected again with your family, and you were showing you were showing up in your life and you were very present and you were placing your faith in your belief and in in God and you were allowing him to guide you through life and I thought how could he ever think that he was irrelevant well you know there was a point in prison when I stumbled across a book and the through a radio broadcast and I was listening to this guy talk and then I read his book the whole premise of his uh, ministry was to help people realize that um, we all live in a, a bondage most of the time and don't realize that we've been set free and that our identity doesn't have to lie in the actions that that we've done, uh, the labels that we create for ourselves and, um, you know, the things that people call us or have called us in our life or the things that we call ourselves. Those are things that uh, are put on us by other people, by human beings and by ourselves. But God looks at us differently when we have a relationship with him. He's wiped all of that clean. And I had kind of forgotten about that uh, until 9-11. I think God has taken me through a few places in my life with, with different moments and, and different, um, you know, situations. Me remember, you know, like where I came from and where I am now and how he sees me. And so, yeah, it just I think the country was in such turmoil and I didn't know how to deal with it. And like as any red-blooded American, you'd want to go fight. You want to go do that. And I just didn't. And, and that was the restriction on me. And it was, it was just hard. And I don't want to go to war. I don't want to fight. I don't want to kill anybody. But I can't, even if I wanted to, you know. So that that was the yeah. hard part for me. Yeah. Uh, now that makes okay. That I understand. I really do. And um, having said good, had the many tearful goodbyes in the airport with my husband as we've packed him up and shipped him, watched him, you know, leave to both Iraq and Afghanistan. I know. And then for you, it's you know your brother and your dad and and your and your and your, and your other brother and sister. You know, having knowing that they have served as well, I can see how that would really just cut you just like you said cut you to your soul cuts into your soul mm-hmm. and everything but um i gotta tell you something i hope you never think of yourself as not being a, a relevant present person because i i look at your story and i read your story and i follow your blog and and i think and i you know and i'm and i'm a member of your facebook group and i see what you're doing and i think that without a doubt you are doing exactly what you're meant to be doing you know, and i think it's exciting ma- to see what you're doing actually <laughs> many years um people would say uh around veterans day you know thanks for serving and you don't know how bad it made me feel it was so terrible but until august when i released my book everything changed. I mean, I realized I'm not really considered a veteran because I didn't even serve a full, you know, 18 months. It was like 17 months of active duty service and the rest was all bad time. However, um, 
after writing this book, I finally was able to let go of a lot of that guilt because I am blown away about how about how God has used my story to affect other people and the people have reached out to me in so many different ways. So I feel like it just I don't think I was emotionally or mature enough, uh, you know, emotionally mature enough or even just mature enough in general to handle the gravity of this story, you know, 10 years ago. It, it only took some maturing on my part, some spiritual maturity, and just, you know, growing up to realize the gravity of this story and how it's going to affect my family and, and people going forward. So it's just in God's timing. And now that I'm able to talk about it pretty freely and, you know, it's all out there and share it with people, I keep people have been reaching out to me saying, you know, I've been through the same situation and, you, and your story gives me hope. And, and so I, I don't feel the way I used to, um, but I did want to take everybody through a realistic scenario um, and, and my life and how, how I actually felt through the entire thing. So that they just knew, you know, that maybe the choices that somebody is about to make aren't worth it or the choices that you have made in your past don't define you anymore. You know, you're released from that um, through God's, what God did on the cross, what Jesus did on the cross for us. So, you know, we don't have to hang on anymore to all those things that want to pull us down. Thank you for saying that because it's true. Our past doesn't have to be the thing that defines us into our future. Now, if we made mistakes or if we've hurt people or, you know what I'm trying to say, like if we've done something where we've been, with, uh, you know, like in your situation where we've done some pretty hurtful things to our families or even not in your in your situation, but we have hurt people through act, through actions and words and that have been cruel, you know, to change, you know, allow that those moments of your past, if they define you, they need to define you as you positively change and move forward in your future so that you are not that person that is hurting someone, that is saying ugly things, that is, you know, does, does that make sense? Yeah, totally. 100%. Okay. <laughs> yes. Okay. Good. Because I was like, I might be getting a little waxing poetic here, and I'm sorry about that. Okay. But, uh, but no, I think that you know, it's it's good to let go of those that that past because sometimes holding on to it, all it does is it makes us bitter and angry and unhappy, and that is just it's exhausting, and it's not at all what is wanted in our life and what the purpose of our life either. So there was another part in your book where I really was, I have to say, I was sitting here. I mean, I really wish you could have seen me reading your book. I really was cheering you on. And like, it's just like, yes, this is finally, yay, this is happening for him. Great. Um, is when you got your first job, when you were oh, yeah. first out of prison. And yeah, I, that was a struggle. Um, convicted felon, checking that box on Yeah, the, I believe on, it. I've been convicted of a felony. Man, that is like, nobody really wants you to do anything. And and that's that is that is that's true right there. So Well and it got me thinking too, David, that I thought okay, so he has he gotten out of prison, he has gone home to a wonderful and loving family. They have stood beside him. He has he has changed, he has reformed himself, he is trying to be a better person. And now he is struggling to find gainful employment because of a felony and I and it made me start thinking about something else how many other felons go through this exact same thing and who do not have not a, a wonderful loving family to go home to they go right back into the same situation that put them in prison to begin with and I and it really made me very um, it made me I was happy for you but I was sad at the same time thinking about the other people who were also you know who had served their time their time is done they have served their time as they were supposed to to. They paid their debt to society, and now they're getting out, and they can't get a job, and they can't feed themselves. They can't go to school. They can't find 
a place to live. They they have nothing. And I it really just, it, that really made me sad for them. And I thought not everyone has the abundance of, we don't, you know, has an abundance of love in their life. And I also looked, so this is where I thought about something else with your book as well. And I don't know if this is something that you're thinking about doing, but Dave and I, we love to give away ideas to people. We love to share ideas and thoughts that we get. So uh, he would be happy I'm doing this. But I thought if you ever have a chance to talk to young men and women, children who are in the juvenile detention center or facilities, you know, who this is it, they're going to be, this is it for them. You know, they are going to be in a serious trouble and prison is their next step if they don't get it together. You would be perfect for that. Well, I have a, you have a such a powerful recently. story. Yeah, I've been speaking at churches and I spoke at a youth group recently. And then just this week, I spoke at a men's prayer breakfast in which they bring, we have a place called the Open Door Mission. I'm sure you've heard of it when you lived here. Yeah. Um, but it's, yeah. you know, people are kind of like on the rocks a little bit. So those guys uh, came and heard me speak. But then there was a guy who works in a release prison ministry for it's a juvenile detention, basically. And he, he gave me his card, so I'll be talking to him. And, and some doors have been opening for, for me to get my story out um, through speaking. Um, I'm actually starting to uh, – I have the opportunity to start a ministry for after-prison care, uh, kind of like a support group. Uh, through another organization that already exists called Fresh Hope. And the Fresh Hope is usually for people with um, diagnosis of mental illness and need to figure out a way to function. Um, So using that model, we're going to try and help people not go back to prison. I think that's wonderful. See, you would be so great at that. Look at this. Look at what your book is doing. Look at how this has all been placed in your life, and look at all these phenomenal things that you're doing now. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. I didn't expect it. So. <laughs> no, but and you know what? I what I think is so wonderful is how humble you are, and how you just keep moving forward through all of this and letting God guide you. You know, I can you can just hear it in your voice that you are just allowing this to happen to you, and you are sharing your experience, and you are allowing it to guide you into doing such positive things for your community and for others. It's an amazing thing. You know, I'm, I'm, I have to give my family a shout out, especially my wife. She's just amazing. She supports me um, through all of this. She supported me having to be drugged through my past so by me writing my story and, and all the things that go along with that. And, and then my uh, three daughters, uh, my youngest is six, so she, the only thing she knows about my book is she said, oh, that's the book about dad's bad choices. So she doesn't get, she get it 100%, but uh, she, she gets enough of it. No, but she's six, and so she pretty much gets it, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but the older two That's how really my six-year-old supportive. would say it, too. Yeah, they, they've been nothing but, you know, supportive. They don't look at me any differently. They know that, you know, that was me in the past. And even reading the stories, like, this is not you, you know. So it's been cool to kind of have you be open with my story with my children. I think that's, yeah, because it'll help them understand you better, too, as a parent. So you are looking at doing a ministry group now, right? Right. It's more of like a support group uh, through a ministry. Okay. And uh, it's kind of basically when people, one of the guys that I'm pairing up with uh, does prison ministry inside the prison, but he sees people, you know, you know, they find God and, you know, they worship God and they have Bible study and then they, they're going to change their life and they get out and then a month later they're right back. So there's a disconnect when people leave. And personally, my situation is different because I had a, you know, I started out getting in trouble in Louisiana and ended up getting, doing time in Kansas. And then I moved to Omaha, Nebraska. I have no connections, you know, no old connections. I have, uh-huh. you know, a new scenario. And they say in, in some of the 12 steps, you need a new playground, new, new play toys and, and friends. You just need a whole new scenario. 
I had that. Yes. And I also had a family. Yes, you did. So a lot of these guys don't have that. They get out and they're right back where they were. So hopefully you're well, uh, and to make, make a change. It, well, exactly. That, yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I was thinking of, too, as I was reading through your book. And then there was something else that you wrote about, which I well, I didn't actually think about, but it made so much sense as you were writing, as I read it, was the amount of structure. You, you, you said, I didn't even know how to make a decision for myself anymore because for all these years, somebody has been making a des- decisions for me. When to get up, what, what to wear, when to eat, when to go to the bathroom, when to go and get exercise, when to do everything. And I, you know, yeah. I, I didn't even think about that being one of the biggest issues of transitioning out of prison back into civilian life. Uh, military service members actually struggle with that, too, leaving military life. Because think about it, your dad, for how long was your dad in again? He was in for 26 years and then another 20 as a GS. Okay, so for 26 years he was active duty Air Force, and every day he put on this, well, the uniform changed, but you know what I'm saying. He had to put on a oh, uniform yeah. <laughs> and go to the job, and he knew exactly what he was doing, and for 26 years he did just that. I saw it with my dad when he retired. He, you know, for 24 years he did the same thing. Yes, he had some decision-making processes in there, but he still knew exactly what he was doing pretty much every moment of the day. Obviously, prison is going to be way more structured than that. But the point is, is that it's that transition where all of a sudden you're making these decisions and you're having to structure your time and it's all on you. And you're not prepared for that. Right. Definitely not. No. And I I kind of wrap myself up into my work and my job. I had a couple jobs right away. Once I was able to get people to hire me, I, I just worked and worked and worked and just wanted to make money. And my goal was to go to cosmetology school. And so I had to save up enough money to make sure that I wasn't going to be a burden on my parents. Um, they let me live with them during the time that I went to school, but I didn't want them to have to pay my bills. So um, I saved up money to go to hair school. And then uh, after that, I took uh, the instructor program and became a teacher. And that's what I do now. I think that's amazing. And I saw, and I was reading over, so I read, now you have a blog as well. And yeah. it is, where is it? Dilemmamike.com. Yep, one L and two M's. Yep, dilemma Mike. One L and two M's. I look, and I was reading over some of the your old posts today. The one about the family trip in the car with Dana and her head falling asleep on you guys. That one killed me. With the whole she's on my side because I it made me think about when I was a kid and we were in Germany and that's exactly on our road trips around Europe and and I would do that too. I would always end up falling asleep and flopping over and my brother would say the same thing. Mommy, she's on my side. Yeah. So. Yes, I, I I started laughing today about that one, but um, but I loved the part in there about when you decided to let your hair grow. My wife was yeah, uh, frustrated and, because the waiters would always say, hey, "What would you ladies like for dinner?" And I, I guess I don't look very masculine <laughs> with long hair, so. Yeah, I just started to laugh with that one. I just I was like, "Oh my gosh, his hair is so long!" I was like, "Oh my goodness," because of course I'm looking at your picture in the book, and you have this very short hair, and then I see this picture of you with this super long hair. And I thought, well, that's really funny. And here he is, in the co- and he's teaching cosmetology now, and um, and his hair is that long. That's really interesting. I just, I've been very, just, I'm very thankful that you wrote this book, though, because I think that your story is going to help a lot of people. And I think doing a support program for people transitioning from, and you know, recovering from being, you know, addicts and in prison and moving back into life. I think that you are such a huge success 
story or because you had such good support and because it was like you what you just said you got out of what what was bad and you moved and you picked up your ball and toys and you went to a whole new playground you're right. Not there everyone is, uh, is lucky like that. There was one point um, during the writing of my story. Uh, I've been reconnecting with uh, a lot of the people in the story, and all the names have been changed uh, with the exception, I think, of my lawyer, uh, which was by accident, but he said it was fine. So, um, But uh, there was a, a guy um, that I used to hang around with who – or I, I sold drugs to, basically, and, and uh, the, he had died. Um, and then it just really hit me. Um, he died of cancer, but – I, what I was thinking mm-hmm. was that this guy, oh, the only thing he remembers about me from his past was that I was a drug dealer and he never got to see the other, the other side. So um, I just wish that I, you know, could have, I have an opportunity now to show people the other side of me. And, and, and so that's kind of what I wanted to do. And that was a good driving force for me, but that, that was one of the low points of me um, going back to my story and finding, you know, something out like that. So. I definitely want to make sure that um, people know that there's there's life on the other side of your mess, and that God can use it for His message. I'm glad that you did that, though, and I'm I'm I'm, and it's nice to see that you are taking um, what could be very tragic story, but you have turned it into such a positive story, and you have, and you have stayed humble and faithful, and throughout all of this process, and I think just from from reading your book and then getting to know, of course, your youngest brother here, you know, a little bit um, more, is that I can see that it is your faith that really is a huge driving, is your driving force. And it's good to see that. And it's nice to know that because I, you know, as, as somebody who has, I have a, a huge desire to want to help anybody in, in need for some reason. I, that is just, my heart is one of those hearts that I want to help everybody in need. We, I'm not kidding. If we see it, an animal on the side of, of the road, we're stopping and helping them get across the road. We are that family. We are helping everybody. We carry little homeless kits in the car so that I have little bags of food and little toiletries in there. And, and I need to actually pack some more up because I've run out. But, you know, so we're, I'm that mom. You know, I'm that person. I want to try to help everybody. But sometimes you are, as a person who longs to help everybody, we're, we're also missing direction. And your book definitely gave me personally some direction to think about, you know, with my myself as what can I do more to be a little more focused on helping people I think it's nice to want to help people but I think that I think that we found each other you know in a Zweibrickin group at the right moment because I was looking for some direction and you have no idea how much you helped me out finding my direction too so thank you yeah that's that's crazy that's really cool I mean, it was, um, so, and by the way, your book, I have, I made a promise to you, and I just wanted to follow up with you. Your book has been given to the Sergeant Major of the Army. His name is Sergeant Major Daly. I, that is crazy. Um, isn't that crazy? Um, he is the nicest is so man. Crazy. He's a very nice man, and I am trying to work on a way to make sure we can send it to General Mattis, or now Secretary Mattis. I still am used to calling him General Mattis because that's what he was, who was, you know, now the Secretary of Defense. And I think that he would really enjoy reading your book and so if we can get this book to him i'm going to try to help out with that if you don't mind that is that would be really cool i appreciate the effort but you know interestingly um, it has it's also ended up in the sergeant major's academy library that's so so cool somebody somebody read it 
who worked there and just put it in the library there and sent me a picture of it. And I thought that was kind of cool. That was kind of neat. The other thing is because you, I, I wanted to be a teacher for the longest time, and I now am and part of, like I said, when, when we met via Facebook and then realized, hey, we actually, well, I know your siblings, you know, so that makes me feel like I know you too. Um, <laughs> I realized that I was kind of, I, for me, I was stumbling through wanting to take, what did I want to do with this teaching? What did I want to do with my, my education background? And, um, and I know that this art, like to me, I thought this book is perfect because we have so many soldiers that are here at Fort Bragg and they are struggling with a lot of pain and some of them are now struggling with addiction. They are in very dark places from multiple deployments and PTSD and perhaps a traumatic brain injury. And they are they are feeling very lost and they are feeling and they are hurting. And I thought if his book can make one difference in one soldier's life, help them from making some pretty bad decisions, then in my opinion, I feel that you will have done something tremendous, more than you already have. And yeah, that, that's that why I wanted really to bring you on the show. Yeah. <laughs> that would be really amazing. You know, the cool thing is that my brother has explained to me uh, that now the military has a program where if you have issues with substance abuse that you can turn yourself in and, and you can get treatment. And I wasn't available when I was not saying that I would have actually taken 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 that up, but uh, it's just cool that the, the military is recognizing that, you know, people can be redeemable, you know, after making a mistake. It's amazing to see how much the military has changed. I am I am blown away still every day by it. And he's right. They, we do have these wonderful programs now. And a lot of it is, is it's in this post-9-11 military. We've recognized that when service members come home and they've been injured, and the only pain pills that they can take are not these heavy narcotics, and they're highly addictive. Mm-hmm. Instead of saying, no, we can't have you, soldier, and you are now an addict and we're going to get rid of you, they, the Army, well, the military in general has decided, we, let's try to help. Let's, let's get yeah, them some help awesome. instead. It's amazing to see, and, I, and I'm glad to see that because I think we are keeping good people in who have just gone through something really difficult in their life, and they didn't know where to turn, and now the military is recognizing that they can provide that service and that support that a service member so desperately needs. And it's good to see that, you know. I think, I mean, you joined the Army when you were 17. You were so young. Yeah. Of course you were going to make bad choices. You were 17 and 18 years old, you know, and, and yes, you were doing something very grown up, but you were so young. Yeah, I don't know that I, I would recommend 17 as a, as age of enlistment uh, unless you have some serious, serious self-discipline. Yeah, I, I, I'm trying to think. I'm sitting here thinking when I was 17, there's no way I could have done that. I was so immature. There's no way. So, I mean, I think part of it is, is that, yes, you were raised in a wonderful, loving home, but you were all of a sudden you were out on your own and you were like, wait a minute, this is so cool. And I've got money in the bank and I'm on my own and I'm doing my own thing. And, oh, I've just went through this awful breakup. And, yeah, I mean, it's, it's no wonder that some bad decisions were made. Right. We'll be right back with more of the interview with Susan and David Mike after this short 30-second word from our sponsor. When I'm on base, I'm known as Staff Sergeant Cooper, but at home... Daddy! Hi, Dad. Daddy! I'm known as Dad, and I wouldn't have it any other way. We know home is at the heart of every military family. That's why we founded Armed Forces Insurance, to protect the property of our fellow servicemen and women. Call 1-800-633-2006 for a no-obligation auto, home, or renter quote, or visit www.afi.org. At Armed Forces Insurance, our mission is you. 
I'm just very happy, though, that you decided to, again, I'm going to go back to it. I'm glad that you wrote this book because I see your book as a way to help just so many people. You can help convicts, tra- you know, transitioning out of prison life back into, is it civilian life? Is that what is? I don't know what the proper terminology is. Yeah, I guess that would be, I, I use the word civilian just because I was military, but I think, uh, yeah, just uh, entering back into the, into the world. And then I think that your book can also help service members, too, and I think it can help their families. So um, I know that I'm going to recommend your book to just about anybody who'll listen. So well, I really you know. appreciate it. But this is you're, you're welcome because you know it's a good book. It's very good. So I really hope that I you know I hope that you start doing some more public engagements and everything like that. You know what? I wish we could figure out a way to bring you here to Fort Bragg. Well, eventually I plan on visiting Daniel at some point. So if I if I do come out, uh, it would be on a family vacation, and, and I'm I'm thinking this yeah. year's a little tied up, but um, yeah. maybe next year if he's still there, he's he's been. In some pretty quick assignment changes, so um, if he's still there, I know he, that's what he said. Yeah, um, he has the best kids. I love his family. They are the nicest people. <laughs> they are. Cool. They are so wonderful. Um, and his oldest daughter, my son likes to paint, and his oldest daughter paints, and so we're trying to figure out a way to get them together and let them go and be artists and paint together and we'll just hang out and laugh a whole bunch and let the kids just be crazy and running around so <laughs> but I can't is there anything else because I can't think see this is where I wish my co-host was here because he would have some really great questions for you too what we're going to do is we're just going to I'm going to probably let you go here in just a couple minutes if that's all right uh, I mean the book is pretty comprehensive and I like I said I don't leave very much out at all and you can you can kind of go all the way down to the, the valley and then back up to the mountain um, if you read it but I would say that if you're struggling, talk to somebody because I didn't. I just just I just went downhill and just made a mess of my life, and I didn't really reach out to anybody. And you know that's easy to say, but I mean there are people out there that are willing to help. Um, and also, uh, I would also say that just know that there is no way in this world that I would have survived if I was not intervening in my life. Um, there's a verse in the Bible that says Roman or it's Romans eight one. So then now so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. So whatever it is that you've got going on in your life, God has taken it away. If you have a relationship with him, it is forgiven. You have been forgiven. It is finished on the cross. So I, I can't stress that enough. Thank you for saying that because that really is a wonderful way wonderful. to wrap up this great interview, I think at least. I feel it was. Um, and to say thank you for everything that you've done. Um, I think that you are truly an inspiring person. And I, I think that. that your faith, you're welcome. I think that your faith is uh, also just as inspiring. Um, I love to see the, I love to see truly faithful people because I, I, they're just amazing to be around. And, and their, their energy and their, they're so, conta- you have such a contagious nature, if that makes sense. It's just, you want to be around them because they're, they're so excited and they're so positive and they're doing so much, so much good in life. And I can't wait to see what else you'll do next. Are you working on another book? You know, I thought about writing another book about some of the funny things that my six-year-old has said uh, over the past few years. And uh, so that's one option. And then uh, I, on my blog, I have a separate section called Humorous Life Lessons, which you just started reading. Um, and I thought about doing kind of like a, a military kid's version of a diary of the Olympic kid type story, uh, just because I had done some really silly, over-the-top, stupid things, and I, I, I write about them on the blog. So um, I, I have struggled to write again ever since the release of the book. So it's been about seven months since I've written anything. But uh, it's just because I've been tied up with the speaking part of it and just life. So, mm-hmm. yeah, if I can start writing again, I think I will I will pursue maybe uh, – 
maybe an ebook or something because the publishing process was pretty grueling. <laughs> uh, putting this together. I believe it. I believe it, and I'll have to talk to you a little bit about that because it was you and your brother. I got to tell you guys something. You too, the Mike family. You guys are full of good ideas. So I ended up my. I used to have this column, and I was actually going to interview you for my column for my newspaper as well. And then the, a new publisher bought the newspaper and canceled my column. And I was talking to your brother at at work at the squadron, and he said, "Well, maybe you should write a book. You write." He goes, "My brother wrote a book. You can write." He goes, "You have a column. You can yeah. write." If I can do it, anybody I thought, can do it. well, yeah. He's and I said, you know what? That Daniel Mike, he does. He's just crazy. He doesn't know what he's talking about, right? And so I got home, and it was this. It was actually the day your book came in. How funny is that? This is the 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 interesting part. So I had already started reading your book, right? That was, I mean, like he got all excited. He's like, hey, you should write a book too. And I was like, okay, um, no, I think he doesn't know what he's talking about, but you know, I don't know. And I was feeling just kind of sad, you know, and just kind of down and licking my wounds. And I was, so I got home that night and we started, I started reading your book again. And that's when I messaged you and I said, I think I'm going to write a book. Thank you for being, for inspiring me. You're welcome. Well, I appreciate it. I was like, gosh, I, you know what? Again, I, I went back to that phrase, mysterious ways. Here we are. Mm-hmm. In a, this is very, I wasn't expecting any of this. No one expects this in their life, and you just have to have, you know, you have to believe and have faith. And uh, so I appreciate everything. I, this book is, your book, Dishonor, is one of the best books I've read in a very long time. And I really do mean that. And I, it just, your story is amazing. And I, and I can see that you're going to help so many people. Well, thank you for having me on your podcast. Uh, I, you well, can I, find the book on Am- Amazon. Uh, that's, you just yes. have to type in Dishonor uh, and David Mike. That's how it comes up pretty easily. Otherwise, yes. I, the, you can read the blog too. The blog is kind of the book. But it's a little different because I added a lot more detail and, and specifics in the actual book. Uh, but you know, if well, and we're going to make sure we put, of course, yeah. So we're going to put, make sure link, we put yeah. um, the Amazon link on our Facebook page too, and we'll make sure we we have that out for you all. We'll announce it on Wednesday again too, on where people can find it and find your website. Okay. And we'll make sure we continue to share those, share that information, and give you a big shout out on Wednesday as well. So thank you very much for taking this time to be here with me today. And and uh, isn't technology amazing? You're in Nebraska, I'm in North Carolina, and my co-host is in Germany. Yeah, that's crazy. I know, it's crazy. Um, and he's at Ramstein. We used to live near Ramstein, isn't that? That's the part that I think is so mm-hmm. interesting, too. I was like, I used to live near there. Thank you again for everything. I look forward to you writing again. I really do hope that you write again, because I think that would be wonderful, because you are a very good writer. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> and you're welcome. And please give uh, a big hello to your family. And thank you again for being on Spouse Spouts. And uh, we will make sure you get a, a, a link to the show so you can listen to it afterwards. All right. Thank you so much. I'm glad that we connected. Well, I am too. Thank you. And I will talk to you soon. All right. Bye-bye. And that is the end of the interview. That was a great interview. By the way, if you're interested in getting the book, Dishonor, One Soldier's Journey from Desertion to Redemption, again, it's available on Amazon. You could probably also find it on his website and on his Facebook page. Uh, I haven't looked on the, the, the Facebook page, but I did find the, I, I checked out on Amazon to find it. And that's how I was able to snag the graphic that if you, if you're listening to the show right straight from blog talk radio, you have that slide show that's going on on your screen and you get, a, you see a picture of David and you see a picture of his book uh, as long as, as well as, you know, the AFI uh, logo and the, uh, as the, the, uh, 
pictures of me and Susan. So anyway, that was their interview, and we are that's how we, we're going to continue on with Month of the Military Child. There's a if you haven't had a chance with Month of the Military Child, get a chance to go over to defense.gov, www.defense.gov, and it, just write this down real quick slash news slash special dash reports slash and then the report itself is zero four one seven underscore military child they give you a whole bunch of cool things that are going around the department of defense with month of the military child uh one of the ones that i just took a look at that i thought was really cool was operation Homefront, recognized as the 2017 air force military child of the year jamal braxton He's an 18-year-old. He's a high school senior. He helps out with leadership in the Red Cross, participates in multiple varsity sports programs. He's also a lifeguard, and Operation Homefront had an opportunity to catch up with him and to, to get him recognized with the Air Force Military Child of the Year. I'll get you to find something in here in the, the, the clips. Uh, it was awarded to him by Air Force Assistant Vice Chief of Staff, Lieutenant General Stacy Harris. So congratulations. You got a chance to meet uh, Lieutenant General Harris. Uh, she's awesome. And then uh, they also have a gala in April to honor award recipients from each branch of the Armed Forces. And I'm hoping that some of you might get a chance to go see that or go participate in that. Um, what, are you going to do anything like that with that, Susan? Am I going to go, what, to Month of the Military Child? Well, in, in April, with the thing that Operation Homefront is putting on that gala, did you did you get a, an invite for it? I think I did. I do not um, because, um, well, one, my little one is very young, but also I know that they tried to invite back the previous uh, recipients. As oh. Two. It's That's a big cool. deal. Like you, it, with Month of the Military Child, it's, it's very family oriented. You always are welcomed back. It's, and, and you know what they do? And I think we mentioned this a little bit on the show last week. They do something wonderful where they honor the top of every branch, National Guard, Coast Guard mm-hmm. included. And I love nice. that. Um, and they leave it there. They don't pick out an overall, overall one. They just leave it there. And I love that because every branch has, speaks a unique language. And uh, even though we're all military, every branch has their own traditions, and uh, and I love that they do that. And um, I know that we have here in North Carolina at Camp Lejeune, we have the 2014 Marine Corps Child of the Year, and now the current Marine Corps Child of the Year is at Camp Lejeune High School. Really? Both years? Yes. Whoa. Yes. Uh, apparently, there are some pretty awesome teenagers at Camp Lejeune because they always get a couple of kids nominated and make it into the top five out in Camp Lejeune. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I don't know what they're doing there. I don't know what's like, going on yeah. there, but it's uh, that's pretty cool. And uh, so um, Michael Logan Jordan, who is Becca Jordan's son, and she was – uh, part of the she is part of the military spouse of the year family. Mm-hmm. Um, she her son Michael Logan, uh, Lo, I just call him Logan. He won for 2014 for Marine Corps Child of the Year, and um, and so he's such a good kid. Oh my gosh, he's such and he's so funny. Oh my god, he's so funny. 
And um, and so he went and when he was told who had won and found out that this was somebody that he knows at his high school, he was able to go and get him out of class and tell him that he won Marine Corps Child of the Year. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Actually, I remember you talking about that last week. Yeah, and so what they do is they have – previous year's winners serve as ambassadors too for the program where they mm. help mentor each other and work together and they connect them and um I really love that Operation Homefront is doing it that way because it really what they're doing works and right. I and I love that they stay just at the branch level because I don't think there needs to be an overall winner like there's only one military child of the year I think it creates um a lot of tough competition that doesn't need to be there true you know and um, and I love that. So then that way all these kids get to work together, and uh, and they do some amazing things. You know, Michael uh, Michael Logan or Logan, he has um, a pretty interesting disability. As a kid, he has pediatric rheumatoid arthritis. What's and his it name? has Michael Logan, and it's a hyphen. Michael Logan Jordan, and he started um, a nonprofit called Logan's Heroes. He has oh. testified before. Congress about uh, pediatric rheumatoid arthritis. Mm-hmm. He has um, he he and I have spoken a number of times about Tricare for Kids and how you know just how he you know and having a physical disability like arthritis as a child and how it has impacted his overall health and you know his overall health care and uh, he's just. He's just doing some really, really good things, and he's smart, and he's funny, and he's got this big old heart. Oh, my goodness, he's got the biggest heart. And all of these kids do. You look at some of the things they're doing, and I'm like, holy smokes, I would I never know. have thought to do that at at 15 years old. Or even at, at 50, I wouldn't have thought of doing some of that stuff. Yeah. I mean, let, let, let's let's take a look at the, the, the current uh, well, pick one: um, Army, Navy, Marines, Coast Guard. Which one you want to do? National Guard. Well, just, I'll go yes. over what what the which one? National Guard. Molly yes. Frey. She is the 2017 National Guard Military Child of the Year uh, award recipient from uh, uh, from uh, our uh, people at Operation Homefront. Let's see, what does it say here? She has service highlights. She's the Ohio National Guard on Ohio National Guard Team Council. She's on the Ohio Federation of Music Club. She's in Student Serving Students Leadership Group. She's in an anti-bullying group. She's the Riverside United Methodist Hospital volunteer. She shadows nurses. She does tribute to the troops figure skating show. Uh, she also does skate for hope. She does tee it up for the troops. She does Red Cross blood drives. She is a CPR uh, AED Red Cross uh, uh, for, for professional rescuers and healthcare providers. So she's got that cert- certification, and she's a teacher at 88 Keys Music Studios. That's just some of her volunteer work. She, her other highlights are she's a National Honor Society. She's a National Honor Society for Dance Arts. Distinguished Honor Roll, 2015-2016. High Honor Roll, 2013-2014. Academic Excellence Award Honor Roll, 2011-2012. She's on the Pinkerton Girls Golf Team, so she's also an athlete. Uh, Ball Met Columbus Dance Academy. She's with the Ball Met Nutcracker, 
Columbus, Ohio Theater and the 2011 Drug Abuse Resistance Education Graduate. Uh, that's that's a lot. I know. I, 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 I haven't been around long enough to do all that, that kind of stuff, and yet she's done it before she's – by the time she's 16 years old. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I know. These kids are her, impressive. Her and, favorite um, quote is, fear kills more dreams than failure ever will. Yeah. I love that. And, you know, so it's really – so um, Moa or I don't, somebody just posted this really great interview with um, – with Michael Strahan, and people are like, I didn't know he was a military kid. Yes, he was. He was a military yep. kid. And I love seeing where military kids go in life because so many of them do these very impressive and very amazing things. You know, and I'm serious. I And I'm not saying that our kids are better. Nope, because people will hear that and think, well, you think military kids are better. Nope, not, that's not what I'm saying. I think, I think what the military does with our kids especially, is it shows them that there are that we don't have limitations because we do have to be adaptable and resilient, my least favorite word, and resilient. <laughs> and um, But we have to be these things. Our kids need to be able to roll with the punches. Even if they don't like the punches that are coming, they've got to be able to roll with them, and they have to be able to keep moving. And same thing with us as spouses and family members. And when you grow up in that type of environment, it just stays with you. It just does. Um, because those are your formative years, according to mm-hmm. researchers out there. And so uh, this, this, endless, this world of endless possibilities that I think military children, you know, I know that that's what they see. And because I've, I, cause that, that's how I see things, you know, like there's a, this is a world of endless possibilities. Because I was exposed to so many different things as a kid. And um, and I see that, and I see that these kids believe that, and they and they don't think that they have limitations placed on them. And it's not because we're making them entitled or egotistical. It's because egotistical. Sorry. Um, I think it's because they really do, you know, believe I can adapt. I can figure this out. I can problem mm-hmm. solve, and I will overcome. And I will find a new way to do something. You know, you're. You are in a new school, you've got to make new friends, and you've got to figure out where your place is. And you have to do it pretty quickly, especially if you are a teenager. You've got yep. to do it pretty quickly, you know. And um, and it's really interesting to see all that. And it's really cool to see, you know, where when we grow up and we're still uh, – and we still hold on to that, that – that, um, we still hold on to that military childhood. You know, I, I can sit here and talk to – a military kid who is in their 60s, and they still call themselves a military kid. Which still. reminds me of something, which reminds me of something from last week. We were yes. going to talk about military brats and the term brats and why it's a good thing instead of a bad thing and a few other things about military brats because you are a military brat. I am a brat, and I take ownership of it. I love that term. I'm never going to get rid of it. I think it's um I think it's awful when people want to not use it. I really I get fiercely protective of that. Like I get crazy like rabid animal protective of that term. <laughs> um and I know that people from? it is uh what is it? It actually comes from like the 1700s. It was British regiment. Oh, let me look it up really fast. It stands okay. it is actually an acronym. 
Okay. Um, so the the B, the R, the A, the T, they all actually stand for something. And so this is you're you're going to find out you're going to find it for us and then tell us what why brats is used for relationships with the military kids. Now I'm I, I wonder if it has and we'll know in a second as to whether or not the term brat as we know it in in regular society is calling somebody as an unruly child and we call them yeah. a brat but that has nothing to do with the the british uh, what was it again oh gosh what is it british reg why am i not finding it why can't i find it right. it oh. stands and it's a british regimental like attached something and i can't remember what the t stands for right um but it does it is it's because what it is is it was it comes from when you know the british you know british military would have to you know attach their family to them when moving and things like that so um that's where you know the term is is related to that and people are like well we're no longer part of the british yes i know and that's you know um Okay, that just needs to be, you know, I love the term, though. Um, and it's, you know, a colloquial slang, and it is something that we wear as a badge of honor. And um, and I know that, and people are like, oh, I don't like that. And I'm like, nope, 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 don't take it from us, please, because it is, it is really, it's our thing. You know, it's what we believe in. And uh, why can't I find this? Why am I not finding this? I, I- I don't know, but I found out what the dictionary has for the the actual word brats, not the acronym, yes. but the word brat is slang for beggar's child, and it came from the 1500s in Western England, and so yes. uh, it, it also it, it 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 what else lended to it was that a cloak that the English people wore was also known as a brat because it's uh, it's a Celtic word, uh, Irish. Uh, an Irish word uh, meaning cloth. So yeah, so that's where brat came from there as a word, but you know, an acronym, that's something totally different. Yeah, uh, here it is. Let me check it out again. It? Um, I think I may have finally found it, but I'm not sure. Why am I just on the struggle here? Um, of course, there's also why, bananas, yeah. rice, applesauce, and toast. Yes, yes. <laughs> That's it. It's British Regiment Attached Traveler. Oh, gotcha. That's the acronym. So, so bad. That's where it comes are from. Brats were brought worst. Yes. No. So that's where it comes from. British Regiment Attached Traveler. Um, mm-hmm. and so that's where that, and so people, you know, so, and I get that some people are like, I don't like the term. Um, there was that big, huge thing a couple of years ago with the champs and, uh, they wanted to change it. I can't even remember what champ stands for, but they had the word hero stuck in there and they were calling our kids little heroes. And I had a really big beef with that one to believe it or not. And my beef was, is that you start calling six year old kids, little heroes, everywhere they go and the ego that's going to develop from that is going to be really difficult one but two you you're calling only military kids in schools the heroes and that now distinguishes them even more and that separates them even more from their civilian counterparts and our kids already have more issues with bullying 
than other kids. I yeah. it, to me it was a very it was not a good term and I didn't like it and I thought, you know what, there are so many older brats out there who are doing some really phenomenal things in regards to military kids and all they want to do is stay involved in that and have that military connection still regardless of their age and they have started nonprofits and they are doing you know they are doing things to help children and why aren't we working with them you know and i just thought that really was really a tough i didn't like seeing what was going on and i actually wrote about it but i didn't like it because i felt like my identity was being taken away as a military kid um because it was when you take a term that i have grown up with a term that i am very familiar with i don't have a hometown to show ian I don't have a high school to take him back to to say this is where mommy cheered, this is where mommy did her first play. I don't have any of that to show him. I have none of that. My base is closed down. My high school is now, I have no idea what the Germans decided to do with it. My elementary school is now a fine arts university. Um, Half the housing I lived at in Germany is condemned and falling apart. Um, You know, the Air Force Base it has been turned part of it into an outlet mall, and then the other part is being used by a very small private um, uh, airline company because, hey, they've got a flight line. You might as well, right? Hmm. And um, like Ryan, it, it's similar to Ryanair, which you know what I'm talking about because you live overseas oh, yeah. and you know what Ryanair Ryan is. Ryanair yeah. is and you know that, nice because they're cheap. Yeah. They're just tough yeah, and that's what cheap. this is doing too. And, you know, they're flying out of old Han Air Force Base, right? And um, – <laughs> And so I, you know, so for me that was very, a very much an attack on my, my identity. And I know well, that sounds completely nuts, but it was, it was, and the the older brat community did not respond well. They, they have very fond memories of growing up military kids, despite the hardships. Yeah. You know, and well, my, my hometown. You know, and we don't want to lose that term. My hometown, we've gone through two different high schools. They've been in two different locations from when I was there. Yeah. Uh, the old Maine is gone. It was it became the middle school, and then it's been leveled since then, and then I'm not sure what it is now. The high school that, that replaced it was a mile and a half, two miles away, is what my brother graduated from, and they have, from my understanding, have leveled that too. So they've started wow. something else. And so, you know, it, it's 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 not uh, uh, not uncommon for a lot of places to have that same kind of thing happen. It's it, but it is sad when it does, and especially for military kids who who grew up here in in Europe, where everything is dependent on what sofa the uh, standing or the uh, sofa stands for. Status of force agreement. Status of forces. Oh, hey, the show is done, Dave. Oh yeah, it is. Yeah, wow. it, it, we're we're in the Okay, so next week. Here. Yep, next week okay. we have. I'm hoping I'll follow up with her again, but I think we're going to have the honest Dependa on. Nice. Will she sound yes, as I mean, goofy as she does on the on the the videos? I have no idea. She's a sweetheart, yeah. though. I met her a couple weeks ago in Jacksonville, and she is hilarious. So I'm excited about next week's show too. Cool. Let's get ready to do it then. 
We hope you've enjoyed this edition of the only podcast worthy of all military spouses, Spouse Spouts with Susan Reynolds and Dave Etter. May the rest of your day, your week, your you time be better time after spending this time with us. Until next time, coffee on. 